0: It's really dark in here. (laughs) Uh, I think I can find it right here. Yeah. Oh, look. Somebody's left something on the stage to help us see a little bit. I think that's good. I'd say good to see you, but (laughs) I can't see you. That's weird. It looks like they've put this. It looks like there's a light here. Oh, look at that. It's under a basket. (laughs) That sounds like a song, doesn't it? reminds me of something. You know, there's a verse that this reminds me of. Um, what's crazy about this light is, I bet, can you all see me now with this light? Maybe, sort of, a little bit. Here's my face, here's, yeah. I can't see y'all even though I have this light. It's weird, but it does remind me of a verse of scripture. I'm just going to read that to us by this light as best as I can. It's really not even a great reading light, is it? it light's an area, but not a very big area. It's kind of a little lantern. Matthew five fourteen, look at that. It says, uh, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. That's where I heard that before. But on a lampstand, and it gives life to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Oh, look, they've, there's, somebody's left a couple of other lights here. This one's bigger. Let's see see if this helps us a little bit. Oh, hey, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? That's ah, awesome. Now I can see y'all, <laughs> and you can't see nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, and this is a, I don't know if you can see this or not, but it's a big light. Look at that. See, see, that's a big flashlight. This is the kind of flashlight you use in the middle of the night when you hear somebody rummaging in your refrigerator downstairs. Because you can come up and you can shine them in the eyes with it, and then you can hit them over the head and steal their Doritos. And so it's really good. I'm gonna I'm not gonna use this light. That's not so good. It even sounds big, doesn't it? <laughs> but I also I, I found another light here. Actually, what's funny about this light is, see that? It's that's kinda bright. That's the big light. Here's my little light. Let's see. My little light. Isn't it funny? My little light's brighter than my big light. <laughs> it's this. This little light of mine, I think I'm gonna let it shine. Somebody should write that down. That'd make a great song. No, look, water spots. No, uh, uh, you know. And I read Matthew 5:14 through 16. Oh, that's the other thing. I bet this is awesome for everybody watching online. And and since it's October, I feel like I should do this. <laughs> Just feels like the right moment, but maybe not it 's a sermon right um, so no, when I read those verses matthew five fourteen through sixteen if I were to narrow the message of those verses into just two points now there 's going to be way more points to this message because you know i 'm a preacher, and we can 't be short right um, Well, we can just it 's hard to take a breath, right um, but uh, if I were to mar- narrow that passage of scripture down into two short points, I would say this. The first point in Matthew 5, 14 is to let your light shine bright. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Isn't it amazing what God does in your heart and in your life and in my heart and my life when the grace of God steps into your life and transforms it? When you're forgiven of your sin and the sin nature that was in you, God pulls out of you and He takes the punishment on Himself through His Son and and then He replaces it with the righteousness of His Son. And now now at this point, our life has been transformed and we really don't have to live by the world's rules anymore. We can let you, can let your light so shine before men that they may see you good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine bright. That would be the first and biggest point for that passage of Scripture. But there's something else I think we ought to realize. When we're talking about how light can be used, we ought to realize that sometimes it's not enough to let your light shine bright. I mean, I've already demonstrated. I've got three lights up here. There's this one that's kind of the lantern. I can see, or you could see me a little bit with it. I couldn't really see you. Then there's the big flashlight, the kind you can hit somebody over the head with. And again, I could shine it right in your eyes and just hurt you. And then there's this little light, which is a lot brighter than my, my bigger light. And I can use it well, and I can direct it specific places. And I think what it tells me is light is awesome. Light is wonderful, and I want light to, to be seen. But not only do I need to let my light shine bright not only do you need to let your light shine bright i think it's also important for you to shine the right light you know a laser that's actually an acronym acronym it stands for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation it's a very narrow light only goes into one place this light is broad enough that we can even see the word compassion so it's the right light for shining on that banner right now or this banner over here, but it doesn't really help this room very much. Do you all have your cell phones with you? Hey, take those out and let me see a light. Show me what a light looks like when you shine your light bright. Yeah, that's awesome. Some of you are using the flashlight or the, the, the light on the back. Some of you are using your text messages. That's good. I like that. I saw some text messages. I couldn't read them from here, but that's good. Look how much brighter this room is when we all let our light shine bright. Isn't that amazing? But it's still not quite the right light for this room, right? You can turn your phones off now. That's all right. Or you can go to the sermon notes if you need to. Those are all online uh, there on our page. Why don't we do this? We've got some lights that were designed for the room, right? So why don't you, uh, would you please bring those up slowly? Please go slow because we've already seen how much it hurts when we go from darkness to light. I don't know, maybe there's an allegory in that too, or maybe a metaphor in that too, didn't he? But was it painful for any of you going from darkness to light when God transformed your heart? Was that process for you something that was challenging? Did you come to faith easy, or did you come to faith kicking and screaming? You know, sometimes that's the way we do that. We need to shine. You need to—well, I'm going to keep using this, I think—you need to let your light shine bright— but you also need to shine the right light. That's actually another part of this passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 5, look at that with me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. When we say shine the right light, in this Sermon on the Mount, this is a sermon that Jesus preached uh, to people from uh, the Sea of Galilee. He said, I want your light to shine bright, but He also said, even before He got to the let your light shine bright part, He told them what shining the right light actually looked like. Uh, That's a tang tungler, if you've ever heard one, right? He, not only did he say, shine the right light, uh, he showed you what that look, light looked like in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. Look at this. When you shine the right light, here's what the right light in the life of a believer really looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit, that's a light, to be poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean you walk around all bowed up and big, and let me just show you how good I am, and you're just so arrogant. You No, know, no, you're poor in spirit. It doesn't mean that you think lowly of yourself. It just, means, it just means that when you walk into a room, you've come to use who you are and what you have for the benefit of others. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Have you seen anything in our nation worth mourning? Have you experienced anything in your family worth grieving over? There's a time to mourn. And there's a time for hope. And we, as believers, we don't grieve like those who have no hope. We don't mourn like other people. Look right here, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And that's a kind of light we can shine into this lost world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Well, meekness, that's power under control. That's the right light shined at the right intensity, in the right direction, at the right time. It's it's strength rightly applied. Sometimes there's this moment when we do need to stand up, and we do need to bow up, and we need to say, this is what's right. And sometimes we need to very gently and very lovingly say, hey, let me show you where the right path is. Meekness recognizes how not to just shine your light, not to just shine bright, but to shine the right light. That's another kind of light that you can shine out into our world. Blessed are those, oh, this is such a good one, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. What is righteousness? Righteousness is doing the right thing the right way for the right reason. It's not something that you can do on your own. You've got to have the righteousness of Christ in you. But what I love about this is what's the right light in that? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Before Christ came into my life, I had a hunger and an appetite for sinful things. And because of what Christ has done in my life today, I cannot, I don't have to I don't have to feed that hunger anymore. I can be hungry for righteous things. I can be hungry for righteousness. And in being hungry for righteousness, you become set apart. Something different than the world around you. And remember that verse in uh, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among among us. And, and And the Word was the life, and the life was the light of men. And it shined in the darkness. Now watch this. And the darkness didn't understand it. You've got to let your light shine bright. And you got to shine the right light. And when you're someone who hungers and thirsts just for righteousness, the dark world is not going to understand it. They're just not going to get it. But you know what can happen as you shine the right light? The dark world may at some point, because of the grace of God shining through you, they may go, you know what, I don't understand it. I don't think I like it. No, no, no. I don't think I want it. But it sure is interesting. I'd like to know more. And suddenly you have this opportunity to share grace and faith and the story of who Jesus is in a way like you never have before because you've let your light shine bright and you're shining the right light. Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Man, doesn't our world need to understand a little bit more about mercy today? When was the last time you got on Twitter and watched anybody be merciful? (laughs) Uh, When was the last time on social media someone dropped some political argument or some economic argument or just some kind of some social argument? When was the last time you got on there and you thought, you know what? If I just make a few more comments and drop a meme, I can fix this. Mic drop, boom, everybody's problem solved, right? That's just not the way the world works because... Our world is just not that merciful, right? We like judgment. We like justice. We like people getting their, you know, we like people getting what's due, you know, getting their due. We love that. But this right here says there's this light. It's the Beatitudes that Jesus is preaching from the Sermon on the Mount. There's this light that you can shine. It's the right light into a lost and a dark and a dying world. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How pure is your heart today? How easy in this environment is it easy to remain? How easy is it to remain pure? I mean, it's not, right? It's just so easy to think the worst of people instead of believing the best. It's just so easy to find the negative instead of finding the positive. It's just so easy to be, well, to act with people with a lack of graciousness or gratitude. It's just so easy for us to do those things. And then you add to that just the availability of pornography everywhere. And you just don't have to go anywhere to find it. And suddenly, man, pure hearts see God. And suddenly the way I think and the way I feel and the anxieties that come on me and the stress of making money and the stress of having a job and the stress of being right and feeling right and showing up right and looking right, it just comes so big that suddenly my heart is so not pure anymore. Yet that's such an incredible light to shine bright. And in this nature, in this, in this nation, in this time, in this culture, shining the right light is, man, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Are you that person who walks into a room and peace follows after? Could you imagine showing up at the next board meeting or at the next staff meeting, and because you showed up, peace followed after? What about that fight you're having with your family? Maybe it's a fight you're having with your mom and dad or a fight you're having with your kids. Or maybe you're an adult and you're having this fight with your adult, senior adult parents about something. Could you imagine the next conversation being the one where you walk in and after you're finished, peace follows after? Imagine what that would be like in the media and in our government Imagine what that would be like in all of those different spaces and places that just seem to thrive on conflict if when you showed up, peace followed after. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Here's a hard one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Not because they did something wrong. They're not being persecuted because they did the wrong thing. They're being persecuted because, well, for righteousness' sake. They're being persecuted because they did the right thing. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. For my sake, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Sometimes that good old American way of standing my ground and bowing up and saying, I shall not be moved. And you don't have the right to come against me. I've done everything right. I love it. Now, this is a great moment in a movie. <laughs> but sometimes, blessed are you when you're persecuted because you did the right thing. And sometimes, the right light is for a lost and a dark and a dying world to see how you handle persecution differently than the way the rest of the world handles persecution. How they see you handle rights and responsibilities and freedoms differently than the way the rest of the dark world does it. For you to live your life in such a way that you say others may, but... I may not, not because I'm a prude, not because I'm holier than thou, not because I'm bigger than, smarter than, not because of anything else, but because I intend to be the one who is pleasing to God, and I'm going to let my light shine bright, and every time I interact with other people in any context, I'm going to do my best to shine the right light, and even when I'm right, sometimes I might get persecuted for it. Are you someone who's shining the right light? You see, today's message uh, is out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, and it's been good for us to look at the Beatitudes, but we're in a series we're we're calling Asking for a Friend. And the question that we need to answer today, we've received questions from people in the community and people in our church, and the question we need to answer today, in my opinion, is a great question, but it's also a complicated question. And so I want us to be careful how we answer it because I want to answer it scripturally, yet in order to answer it scripturally, sometimes you have to build a foundation that begins outside of Scripture and, well, not begins, but continues outside of Scripture and, 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 then, and then allow the Scripture to speak into that. And so the question is this, and it's such a good question. We received it in a variety of ways, but here's the question. Is it right for Christians to use government to impose their moral values on others? That's You see why I called it a complicated question, right? What a great question that is. Is it right for Christians to use government to impose their moral values on others? I just want that to settle for just a second. I'm going to read the question one more time because I want you to think about that before I start providing an answer that is both practical and biblical. I want I want you to think about that for a second. Is it right for Christians to use government to impose their moral values on others. Well, before I get into the scripture, the scriptural answer to that, there's some practical things that maybe I need to remind us of that just have to do with a little bit. So maybe it might feel a little bit like government class, maybe American Civics 101 for just a moment. And so we're going to be deeper in scripture here in just a second. But I want to remind us of some things about our American citizenship and what it means to be this great experiment we call America. I want to read that question again. um, And when I do, I'm just going to leave the word Christian out of it. And just leave a blank right there. And see, uh, just based on your knee-jerk reaction to to the question. When I ask the question, you may have had a knee-jerk reaction in in answer to the question, is it right for Christians to use government to impose their moral values on others? I'm going to read it one more time and and think about what your knee-jerk reaction was. But this time, I'm going to take the word Christian out of it and just leave a blank. And maybe you could fill in that blank with any demographic. Is it right for short people? Is it right for tall people? Is it right for rich people, young people, old people? Is it right for people of this ethnicity or that ethnicity, this gender or that gender? Fill in the blank however you want and see if your knee-jerk reaction to the answer to the question is influenced by it at all. Is it right for, fill in the blank, to use government to impose their moral values on others? You see, I think that's such an important question for us to ask. It's actually related to another question that we received. Is it possible for me to honor my nation? Can I honor the nation in which I live and at the same time be honest about the shortcomings and failings of my nation? That's another way to ask, it's a similar question. And and I just want to say right now to those of you who have and will and and are and and have been affected by families that have served in the armed forces, I am so thankful for our first line responders and, and front line responders. I'm so thankful for the men and women who have sacrificed and served and their families I am so thankful for each and every one of you, for our veterans, and for the fact that some people in our history, many people actually in our history, have given, it's my favorite Lincoln quote, it's the, they've given their last full measure of devotion for the sake of this American lifestyle that we have. I am so, so thankful for you. And I am so honored and proud and grateful for this nation that God has allowed me to live in. And so I am so thankful for where I live, and I want to honor this nation And at the same time, I can be honest about our faults and our failures. I can be honest enough about our faults and our failures that I can insert myself into the process at some level, just like you can, to help overcome those fears, those faults, and those failures, to keep influencing this generation to move forward in a direction that makes sense and that is helpful. And remember, I said it's a complicated topic today. Can we, is it right for... Christians to use government to impose their moral values on others, I want to tell you that today um, I, I may tell you how to vote. But it's not going to be about Republican or Democrat. And it's not going to be about yes to this or no to that. It's going to be a framework that helps us see scripturally who we are as believers in light of who we are as citizens of a nation. I do think we can honor our nation and honor our government. And at the same time, be honest about those things that have tripped us up in the past. And so when I step into that idea of a little bit of a civics lesson, there's just some things about America as a whole that I need to remind us of. Uh, America, by our founders, has been described as a great experiment. And in this great experiment, our founders really did believe that it was better to suffer the mistakes and the misfortunes of a free people than it was to live in the luxurious prison of a tyrant. They really believed that, and they took the time to write it down and then say, this is what our government's going to be. We're going to be the kind of government where the most extraordinary of matters is decided by the most ordinary of people. We're going to be that nation where the most extraordinary of matters are decided by the most ordinary of people. Well, who's that? Well, that's me. And that's you. And how do we get to decide those things? Well, we get to decide those things through our vote through the way that we vote. So the, one of the things you'll hear me say today, over and over again, is I hope you vote. If you're not old enough to vote yet, when you're old enough, go vote, get registered and go vote. If you are in the room and you're old enough to vote, vote in every election on everything. I'm not gonna tell you how to vote right now, but go go vote, I need you to, need you to do that. I think that's your responsibility as an American citizen to go vote. If you're from Chicago, vote early, vote often, maybe even after you've passed away for a few years, vote, vote, vote like that, that'd be great. No, don't do that. That's a bad way to vote. Don't, don't do that. That's not, that's not good. But here's the thing. When you think about your vote, the reason why the question is so, so important, is it right for Christians to impose their moral values on others through government? When you vote, it doesn't matter who's casting the vote. Here's something that's important. You're not imposing a value you're expressing a belief. You're not imposing a value. You're expressing a belief. That's really important because to impose a value means somehow I've bowed up and I've become bigger than you and now you're small and now you have to do what I say because I'm strong and you're weak and I'm smart and you're not and I'm in position and you don't. That's an imposition of value. But when you vote as an individual... You aren't imposing your values on somebody else. You are expressing your belief. And while every single vote is significant, it's not your single vote that makes the drastic change inside our nation. It's votes together that do that. So is it right for us to impose our Christian values using government? Well, when you vote, you're not imposing a value. You're expressing a belief. And and I think as Americans, what that really means is that it's our responsibility as citizens to vote our conscience. We, we fail, as, not, not as a Christian. You can take our Christianity out of it. We're going to set this onto the side for just a moment. We're going to come back to that because it's the most important part and it's critical. But, but when you vote as a citizen, it's your responsibility to vote your conscience and not anybody else's. It's your responsibility as a citizen to vote your beliefs and not anyone else's. And, and when someone uses the argument, well, who are you to cast a vote for anything because of what you believe? Well, those are arguments we've heard in history before, right? Because you're not the right color, you shouldn't get to vote or you shouldn't vote this way. Because you're not the right gender, you shouldn't get to vote or you should vote this other way. We've heard that argument before. Why would we accept that argument in any other form? We've tried as a nation to overcome that and we keep trying to overcome that. And the only way we'll ever overcome that is if you as a citizen value your vote enough to vote your conscience and not to hand it away to someone else simply because they don't like the way you think. Isn't that really what every election is about? I think this, you think that. You're going to vote what you think. I'm going to vote what I think. What does it matter? Well, it does. Where my think comes from, it absolutely matters. Yet at the same time, it doesn't disqualify my vote because I think one thing and you think another. What an easy way to win an election, but to say, hey, guess what? Because your vote... Because your thoughts don't matter, your, your vote shouldn't matter. So vote my way instead. You should just give me your vote even though you don't think like I think. I think that's such an amazing argument that is just not accurate and really just not helpful at all. The, the First Amendment really is an amazing amendment. It is the First Amendment that gives us the freedom to do what we're doing right now, to be able to assemble together, to worship together, for me, able to say what I want to say, for us to write what we want to write. And there's this incredible progression inside the First Amendment of five things. And the First Amendment, you know, you think of that as the freedom of speech amendment. You think of that as the freedom of religion amendment. You think of it as the freedom of pressure amendment. It's all in there. But you know where it begins? It, It begins with the freedom to worship. Another way to say that is the freedom to believe. What you want to believe. And then that becomes the freedom to say what you want to say. Which is then defended as the freedom to write what you want to write. And that becomes the freedom to assemble with the people you want to assemble with. And it ends with the, well, because you've believed it, you've said it, you've written it, you've assembled it. Now you can petition the government to change it. That first amendment is such a brilliantly conceived idea. And it all found, it's all founded on the very first idea that everyone has the right to believe what they want to believe. So if I step into a ballot box, if I step up to a ballot box or into the election booth and I vote something other than what I believe, I've taken away the critical, most foundational thing that's necessary for our nation to move forward in a positive way. And if I give up the ability for me or you or anyone else to believe what they want to believe, it's not long till that whole progress fails. I can't say what I want to say. I can't write what I want to write. I can't gather with who I want to gather with. And now, I can't petition the government to make changes. It all starts when you step into a ballot box and vote your conscience. It all starts when with every election, you vote based on what you believe. Now, there's a joke in here somewhere because the First Amendment is all about those things and the Second Amendment is all about the right to bear arms, which I think is funny. It's almost like the Founding father said, you can say what you want, but you better get a gun. Um, it's almost like that. It's not quite like that, but it's almost like that. It's a silly bad joke. But, but the end of that idea is that as an American citizen, the first thing you need to do is vote your conscience. And then, then we have to step right back Right back into this idea that we are not simply American citizens. I mean, some of us in the room may not be believers, but the majority of the people in this room are Christ followers. So, as an American citizen, it's our responsibility to vote our conscience, but it's our responsibility as believers to seek God's kingdom first. That's our first responsibility as believers, is to seek God's kingdom first. When we're shining, bright, when we're shining the right light, it's not simply my light that the world needs to see. It's the grace of God in me and through me that the world needs to experience. And because of what Christ has done in my life, it does affect my beliefs, which means ultimately it affects my vote. And, and we see this throughout Scripture. We, we see that that every form of human government that has ever existed, Christianity has been able to thrive and survive in every form of government that humanity has come up with. And you remember Joseph in the coat of many colors, Joseph who was sold by his brothers into slavery in Egypt way back thousands of years ago. He's sold into slavery. He ends up uh, serving in Potiphar's house, In Potiphar's house, he's accused of a crime that he didn't commit. He goes to jail. While he's in jail, he ends up interpreting the king's dream. And the king, who is Pharaoh, says, man, you're really smart. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to run things for me. And so Joseph becomes the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. Yet Egypt is run by a dictator, Pharaoh. It was kind of a theocratic dictator because there were people in Egypt who worshipped Pharaoh as a god. And here's Joseph faithfully serving God and faithfully serving within a government that's opposed to his God. And then you get further in Scripture. You see it happen over and over and over again. You get Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're they're taken captive and hostage. Uh, As children of Israel, they're taken hostage by Babylon. When the Bible, when God wants to point to the worst of the worst, he doesn't point to Nazi Germany as the worst of the worst. He points to the kingdom of Babylon as the worst of the worst. When he wants to talk about the Antichrist and the things that are the worst, he points to Babylon. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they rise to prominence and influence in this nation that's, that's completely opposed to everything that has to do with, with God or, or Christianity or Judaism or, or anything like that. Daniel, at one point, becomes the third most influential person in Babylon, and he did that while being faithful to his God and faithful within the nation that God had him. I think you can do that, too. Now, remember that, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You remember the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were all persecuted. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were thrown into the fiery furnace. O king, live forever, but we will not worship you. They didn't bow, they didn't bend, and they didn't burn. And then Daniel, remember, he was thrown in the lion's den because he wouldn't pray. According to the law that said you had to pray to someone other than God, the one true God. So there are these moments when legally, we may be in this nation, but legally, we may have to suffer for our faith. Why? Well, because I am American, and I'm proud to be that, but I'm a citizen of heaven first. Let me show you that. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was one of those men, such an interesting man in the New Testament. Turn to Philippians chapter 3 with me. Philippians chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Paul was a Hellenistic Jew who was also by birth a Roman citizen who had become a Christian. So Judaism was legal, being a Roman citizen was incredible, Christianity was not legal yet, and they didn't know what to do with it. And what's intriguing about being a Roman citizen is that at that time, a Roman citizen could walk the width and the breadth of all of Rome with safety and security in mind, knowing that they wouldn't be stopped, they wouldn't be attacked, because to attack a single Roman citizen was to attack the entire nation. And the nation of Rome would come down hard on people that came down hard on individual Romans. So Paul carried this Roman citizenship with him. And there are these moments in Paul's life when he's thrown into prison because he's preaching the gospel, which is illegal to do. And they start to, they start to persecute him. They start to, to, uh, to, to whip him, or they start to beat him. And at some point, he looks at a Roman soldier and says, Excuse me, is it legal for you to do that to a Roman citizen? essentially without due process. Is that legal for you to do that? And the Roman citizen, it scared him to death because he knew you can't do that to a Roman citizen. And Paul, in that moment, it was interesting. He didn't use his Roman citizenship to change a law, to try to change a law. He didn't use his Roman citizenship to demand his rights. He recognized that legally Christianity wasn't in the right space or place at the time. But he used his citizenship in that moment to stand in front of individuals and to share the gospel. And he did that not because the rights weren't important, they are. He did that because he wanted to seek God's kingdom first. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, who's in this destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen, but I'm a citizen of heaven first, and that's who you are, and that's who I am. It's a word that Chris uses all the time. It's one of those words that we celebrate. We are ambassadors for Christ. No matter what nation we're in on this earth, as believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. What does it mean to be an ambassador? An ambassador is someone who changes their location. They leave the country that is their home. In order to go to another country to represent their country well. To represent their king well. To represent their ruler well. We are ambassadors. That's what Corinthians calls us. It says that you and I as followers of Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. And we've been called to this place and this time and this generation as citizens from heaven. Ambassadors here to demonstrate the righteousness, the love, the mercy, the passion, the justice all of those things of who God is, we need to let our light shine bright and we need to shine the right light because we're citizens of heaven first. We need to seek his kingdom first. I wrote this down because I wanted to say it in a very specific way. So I'm just going to read it to you. And I want you to understand that there's more behind this than just what I'm going to have time to unpack today. But when I say we seek God's kingdom first as a people, When I say we should vote our conscience, that's our responsibility as a citizen, and then our responsibility as a believer is to seek God's kingdom first, to some degree, this is what this looks like in our nation. It's not all that it looks like. There's far more to it than what I'm about to say, but I'm going to say it like this. What makes a nation Christian is not the laws we pass, but the people who fill that nation with faithful obedience to Christ. The goal is not a Christian nationalism that uses the force of government to enact religious ideals on everyone, but a nation filled with Christians who by law may have the freedom to sin, but by grace willingly choose not to, who use their vote to influence a nation to do justly, to love mercy, as they individually and personally walk humbly with with God. And as we do that together... Our individual votes don't impose any value on anyone, but they absolutely allow us to express our belief in a way. Well, Proverbs says it like this, righteousness, righteousness exalts a nation. And so why not you as an individual go live the righteousness that God has given you? And when you step into the ballot box, when you step into the election booth, Express the righteousness that God has given you. Influence this nation to do justly, to love mercy, as you individually walk humbly with God. And see what God might do. Not just through you, but through our laws, through our elected officials, through all those things. Here's the other thing that Paul did with his citizenship. Turn over just a few pages to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, again, he used his citizenship not to change the law, but to influence people. He wanted to share the gospel with the emperor. Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, Paul's talking, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. He's in prison at this time, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard And to all the rest, that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. You see, more practically than what I've said just a second ago in relationship to Paul, there's this idea can we use our citizenship the way Paul did to further the gospel using every legal means? even if it means legally suffering for breaking the law so that we can be faithful to God first. Can you do that? You see, when we say, when we ask that question, is it right for Christians to impose their religious values on others? Well, I think you can take Christianity out of it, and that argument is a weak argument. But when you add Christianity into it, It allows you and I to see something that Jesus did over and over again, and Paul reflected it. Jesus came to rescue sinners, Paul would say, of whom I am the chief. And one person at a time, one individual at a time, he goes to Matthew, the tax collector, and he says, follow me. And he goes to Simon the zealot, and he says, follow me. And he goes to Judas Iscariot. Hey, Judas, follow me. Peter, follow me. Rich young ruler, come come, follow me. Mary, Martha, Lazarus, come, come follow me. He stood before kings and paupers, and his message was always the same. His message was, you need the grace of God in your life. His message was the kingdom of God, but not in laws and legislature, but in the transformation of the heart through the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you and I can be forgiven. I wanna give you two really practical things you can do to live out your faith in this nation. Two really practical things. The first one is I hope you see people. I hope every time you vote, I hope every time you pray, I hope every time you hear these issues and these candidates speak, I hope what you'll see is the people. There's, there's absolutely a political gamesmanship being played right now. There's lots of strategy, and, I, and, 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 and there is a space and a place for that battle to be fought. But when you're praying and when you're thinking about, how do I influence a, a nation? How do I start locally? I hope you find a way to get to know and pray for individually the people who influence our city, the people who influence our state. There's a Behind, behind every political ad, there's a person. There are, there are people that, that need your prayers. They need your thoughts. They need, they need your influence in their lives. Uh, Warren Lear is our city manager. He's so approachable and so easy to get to know. I hope you'll pray for him and you'll get to know him. We have members of our church. Michelle Dempster is the director of human resources for the city of Owasso. Brian Dempster is her husband. They both work for the city of Owasso. Uh, Larry Langford is going to play Scrooge at a Christmas carol this year. He works for the city of Owasso. I hope you're praying for them, and I hope every chance you get, you have an opportunity to get to know them because at some point they're going to be asked to make a decision that influences me and you. When I think about our city councilors, our city councilors are elected volunteers. They don't get paid a dime, they meet about every Tuesday to guide and guard the direction of our city. Um, Kelly Lewis is a realtor and our current mayor. Alvin Frugia is a bivocational pastor at Presence Theater Church right here in Owasso. Uh, she, he's one of our city councilors. Doug Bonebreak, he's one of our city councilors. He was a producer for Channel Six. Lyndall Dunn is an accountant and a city councilor. And then Bill Bush, who's a salesman, leads worship right here periodically. One of our city councilors. They're making decisions that guide and guard the direction of our city. Do you know them? See the people behind the issues. Pray for the people behind the issues. Pray for the hearts and and that God would guide them with his grace and with his loving kindness and with his mercy. See the people. And then adjust. Adjust the way you think. Adjust the way you speak. Adjust the way you work. The way you act. Adjust your vote to reflect scripture because we're citizens of heaven first, and citizens here second. I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a moment. In just a second, I'm going to sing a song, and it just kind of reflects the heart of the ideas that we've talked about today a little bit. And, and I do want to ask you, uh, as I sing, would you pray? Would you pray for those people that I just mentioned? Would you pray about the election that's coming in November? Would you pray that God would allow us as individuals to express our conscience and our belief through our vote? Would you ask God to let us be the peacemakers and to shine the right light into our community? Maybe as I pray or as I sing, maybe what needs to happen is you need to come forward to this altar to just pray for our nation and to pray for one another. Maybe what needs to happen is you're someone who doesn't really Follow God yet. Well, Jesus is saying, follow me today. Would you like to know more about that? Well, come here. I'll be glad to tell you about it. And so would someone else. There'll be people down front. I'm going to pray for us and then I'll sing. And as I sing, you pray. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and we praise you. And we are so thankful for days like today. I pray that we would be the people, that we would be the people who would honor you and follow you in every area of our lives. I pray that you would fill this place with your Spirit and the fruit of your Spirit, that we would, as your people, be ambassadors for who you are, that we would shine our lights bright, and that we would shine the right light. Father, for those who are elected and not elected, for those issues that our face, faces, they're hard, they're challenging, and there's lots of opinions. When it's time for us to express ours, may it be in line with yours. Father, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, and as we stand, listen to these lyrics and pray along with me.
1: And touches earth as day gives way to evening and reveals the universe I try to see with feeble eyes what only angels know a glimpse of your creation the shadow of your home and in the sky a reminder of the brilliance of your soul the image of your beauty and Reflection of your love I want to be the moon And reflect the sun Fill the whole world with your glory And the wonders of your love To change the seas And show the way To shine your light into the darkness Turn the night into day So take this heart of stone of mine and ignite it with your grace. I want to be
0: the moon. Thanks for being here today, and I pray that you'll continue to pray about our nation and how we interact in it. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon.